Wednesday, November 9th, and this is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Stock Advisor Jason Moser, from Motley Fool Hidden Gems Charlie Travers, and from Motley Fool Pro Jeff Fisher. Gentlemen, good to see you. Chris, hey, Chris. Hey, we got a big show today. We've got GM, Activision, Blizzard, we've got Microsoft, AOL, and Yahoo teaming up to take on Google, and we have, uh, well, frankly, some bad news for Blue Nile. Uh, but let's start overseas again. Uh, stocks are down as Italy's borrowing costs are going up. Uh, Jeff, I saw the 10-year bond uh, in Italy now has a yield of nearly 7.5%. I'm not a bond guy, and even I know that that's trouble. What, what right. is going on? That's trouble. The 7% threshold is where Greece, Portugal, and Ireland had to ultimately seek bailouts because it becomes, it becomes too expensive to sell your debt, of course. Uh, what happened is yesterday... Uh, Europe's largest clearinghouse, LCH, increased the margin requirements for anyone to hold Italian debt. And so that sent bond prices down, yields soaring very quickly. And that's obviously has frightened markets quite a bit. What, what the markets are saying is this is nowhere near resolution. Uh, Italy has to iron out an, an austerity program and then pass it. And that could be a long time. They're trying to get it done by next week. But it could be contentious. Oh, I'm, I'm sure they'll just bang that out. But the problem is now, so so Italy has 1.9 trillion euros in debt, one-fourth, about one-fourth of all the debt in the euro region. And uh, they have about $300 billion in debt coming due next year. So they, they don't have short-term pressure, really. They're, they're going to try to sell notes tomorrow. We'll see how that goes, treasuries tomorrow. But where they really get into trouble is next year. If yields are still this high, uh, they really can't finance their debt. Uh, and the, the, with rates going up like they are, it's uh, negating any benefits or most of the benefits that they would get from an austerity program. Charlie, what, what do you think as you look across the ocean? Wow. <laughs> uh, no, this is this is serious, serious trouble. Uh, the problem with all the austerity programs is that they're not a magic bullet that's just going to save the world. Uh, because what happens is that it you know, contracts economic growth, and then you still end up with a situation where the country's debt is growing faster than their economy, and they're actually worse off two or three years down the road than they were today. Um, so I am actually very bearish on the situation in Europe. I think they've done a good job of holding it together so far. Um, but things do not look good. And, uh, you know, worst case scenario here is uh, default in Italy rippling through the banking system, uh, causing another global financial crisis. And let's all hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> but I, see, I think it is a very real risk we have to be aware of. Jason, uh, takeaway yeah. for U.S. investors, what do you think? Well, I would say Charlie certainly is right about the byproducts of austerity. It seems very easy to say, you know, just implement austerity measures and, and that'll take care of it. But there are byproducts in, in contracting uh, growth that we have to be aware of. And I think a lot of this really just boils down to trust. I mean, in simple in simplest terms, you know, the market doesn't trust right now that, that Italy is going to be able to afford its debt. And it doesn't look like they will be able to with debt of 120% of their GDP. Uh, you know, we saw a lot of this in Greece with escalating rates. We're seeing it now with, with Italy. And while I wouldn't anticipate a default at this point, that surely would be a very worst-case scenario and, and scary for everyone involved. Well, there's, when the Greece uh, haircuts were announced, there was a reason they told the banks to raise capital by the middle of 2012 and then went hat in hand to China for more money. <laughs> and I think the problem is escalating outside of what they could deal with themselves. And they're going to need help either from uh, China or the United States to deal with this. Uh, yeah. So stay tuned. <laughs> they have the European Central Bank, which could be a potential lender of last resort, but the, the ECB says that's not in their charter, so they can't be like the U.S. Federal Reserve. So there's no there's no stopgap. 
All right, we will continue to watch. But with, there probably will be one soon. <laughs> with fingers crossed. Uh, shares of GM down today. Third quarter earnings down 15% from a year ago. Uh, GM actually beat expectations but warned about slowing business in Europe. Jason, I know you're a Ford guy, but <laughs> what do you think of uh, what's going on at GM? Yeah, I mean, I guess, okay, Malali man crush aside. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, GM is still a tough one for me. I mean, I know that on paper it's cheap. It's less than five times earnings. I'm not too terribly surprised about a weak outlook for cars. I mean, it's not exactly, I think, a great environment for buying a car. I mean, unemployment is still brutally high. Housing is awful, and it doesn't look like it's going to be getting any better. And so I think that's why, in general, just as automakers go, I'm not terribly bullish on the sector in general. I did find it interesting to see where uh, CFO Dan Amon with with GM referred actually to Ford in saying that they needed to that GM needed to to emulate the one Ford program in order to cut the cost and complexities from GM system going forward to make them a more profitable operation. So that's kind of a you know a sign that we're looking at, at things that Ford is doing. Uh, they're doing they're doing good things, and, and you know GM is kind of looking to to go in that direction as well. But that's really what it boils down to: is cutting costs in order to make them make themselves a more profitable operation. Uh, the U.S. federal government still has 500 million shares of GM, and to break even, um, <laughs> Uncle Sam's going to have to sell those shares when they hit 53. Uh, right now, the stock is in the low 20s. So, yep. uh, like, what is it going to take? To, I mean, just selfishly, because I'm on Uncle Sam's side. What is it going to take for the shares to get up that high? And how long is that conceivably going to take? Should I, they double down? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't. I mean, the short answer is I don't think that's that's a reality. I mean, I don't think it's a realistic uh, uh, goal. I mean, they they state that as a as a sort of uh, a benchmark in saying that if taxpayers want to break even, then we need to see shares about fifty three dollars per share. But the reality of the situation is to see that you're looking at this company is going to have to become twice as big as it is now, and if effectively more efficient and more profitable. Uh, I don't see that happening. I don't see you know an environment over the course of the next five years where people are going to be running out and buying cars like that. It's not like GM is putting the most compelling product out there anyway. Uh, you know, cars today are they they stay on the road longer. People are figuring out ways to keep them on the road longer. Uh, so I think that at some point here, we're going to realize that the taxpayer is going to take a, a hit on this, and uh, you know, just have to move forward. Shares of Activision Blizzard down today. Uh, Charlie, help me understand this. Earnings tripled. The company raised its forecast. Um, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3, the latest version of the Call of Duty. They're selling millions That's of copies. It's a huge home run. What, what's going on? Why are shares down? Uh, because the stock is always down or flat. <laughs> I don't know, people are a little, uh, you know, four years of a flat stock, you get a little cynical about these things. <laughs> Not that you're uh, and, and we own it in million-dollar portfolio. We think it's a great value. Um, but what people are worried about is the Blizzard half of the business, which is where World of Warcraft falls into. Mm-hmm. It's a subscription model for video games, uh, un, you know, unlike an old school video game where you pay $50 and it's a one-off fee. They're yep. able to, you know, kind of like a Netflix or an Xbox Live, get money on a monthly or annual basis out of their subscribers. So World of Warcraft is a seven-year-old game they've had. Uh, I think they're coming up on their fourth expansion pack. Uh, and the subscriber count was down shockingly. And so that gets people a little nervous that this cash cow is going to go away before they have another product with the same economic model to replace it. And it's it's a legitimate concern. Um, sticking in the video game industry, uh, Take-Two Interactive, uh, their latest earnings kind of weak. Um, I guess the next Grand Theft Auto is not coming out until next year. Um, 
what do you think when you look at a company like that? Well, I'll extend that both to Take Two and like Electronic Arts. These are both of these companies have phenomenal brands within the gaming industry, and yet they struggle year after year to make any money doing it. This shows just what a tough business it is to be in the video game business because you have a hit one year and then the next year you have to repeat it ad nauseum. And so, even with great titles like Grand Theft Auto, Red Dead Redemption, and on the Electronic Arts side, they've got all the EA Sports titles like mm-hmm. Madden. Uh, they just struggle to make money, which makes Activision, in contrast, much more impressive a business. And it's why they're the top dog in the industry. Jason? Yeah, I'll jump in there. I mean, as uh, Charlie had mentioned, it's a stock advisor recommendation as well. I personally own it, and I have it in my Rising Stars portfolio. I think it is a phenomenal value and a phenomenal company. But the thing about gaming, and it seems to be this way every quarter, the market is just always going to perpetually value this company based on what it hasn't done yet. And so if there's ever a content is king uh, sector, I think this may be it, because they're always looking forward to what are they going to be doing next? Because we know about Call of Duty, we know about World of Warcraft, but what's going to be that next thing? And yeah, World of Warcraft maybe is getting a little bit long in the tooth. Who knows what happens when Call of Duty does, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's still, I mean, a pretty phenomenal company, I think. Well, so as, as much of a success as the Call of Duty series is, where the sales are rivaling like Harry Potter and Avatar, if you look at the company's financial statements, 90% of their profit comes from the Blizzard side. You know, so it's fine that they're... From the, sell- the subscription. From the World of Warcraft, yeah. Starcraft, and uh, next year will be Diablo 3. That's where they make all their profit. You know, so it's great that they're selling a billion dollars on these Call of Duty titles. It's just not falling through the bottom line. Microsoft, AOL, and Yahoo are teaming up to sell advertising. The deal gives the right to sell each other's leftover ad space. Um, Everyone loves loves leftovers. Who doesn't love leftover ad space, Uh, especially around Thanksgiving? Um, Is that like page 20 of your search results where you can't sell the ads over there? I think it is, probably. I wanted to make it a page two. Um, So, I mean, Google is the champ here when it comes to advertising. Um, Facebook, you know, they're making some undetermined amount of of money on uh, online ads as well. But um, does this equation work? Does does Microsoft plus AOL plus Yahoo does that equal Google? I wouldn't think so. And so Yahoo, and we we give them a lot of flack, but Yahoo Finance and Yahoo Sports are huge destinations. And so I can't imagine they have trouble selling that ad space. So I'm really questioning where these, like, unsold inventory lies and what the value really is. Yahoo Genealogy or something like that? Some some of the obscure categories. Why does Microsoft want to play in this space? Because Microsoft and Google compete – um, you know, in several different arenas on devices, you know, online. Um, but, you know, I, I get why AOL and Yahoo are doing this, but Microsoft really has the pockets to compete in any area that they want. And, you know, when you look at the device space, you know, Apple is not, you know, Apple competes with Google, so does Amazon, but they're not really choosing to compete in the ad space in the way that Microsoft is. Is it that lucrative? Is the payoff? Even if it's going to be smaller, is it still that good, or should they just at some point focus elsewhere? I think ultimately Microsoft would like to absorb all of Yahoo's search market share, which would give them close to a third of the market uh, relative to Google's two-thirds. And I think this might be the way that they monetize that, because everybody knows the Microsoft-Yahoo deal is struggling, um, and so maybe this deal's an extra step to try and get a little more money out of this line of business. But you're right. This is not their core competency, and it's not a cash cow area for them. Uh, finally, shares of Blue Nile down huge today, uh, down 30% as of this taping. The online jeweler reported weaker-than-expected earnings and offered uh, some pretty disappointing guidance. Uh, Jeff, this is another one 
one that I, I don't get it. We have been in this room before talking all year about luxury brands, Coach, uh, Tiffany, Movado mm-hmm. Group. It's not jewelry, but even Whole Foods. All these luxury brands are just getting it done this year. Here's a company selling diamonds, and and their shares are getting killed. What's going on? Well, Chris, Blue Nile is luxury, maybe one notch down, so their price points are a little bit lower. But what's really affecting them, they kind of had a trifecta this time. Their their quarter three profit was disappointing. They offered lower guidance for the next quarter, their biggest quarter of the year. Mm -hmm. And, by the way, the CEO is resigning effective uh, Friday, and they didn't give a reason why, Diane. Irvine is leaving. That's always a good sign, isn't it? When the CEO, when the longtime CEO just up and resigns with no real reason. And she's only been CEO since 2008. She was CFO oh, from 99 okay. to 2007. Okay, long executive. But, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's been there since the beginning in 99, but CEO only for two years, three years, and she's out. So, But commodity costs are rising, and that's what has really hit Blue Nile this quarter. And you had a stock that was priced to exceed expectations. And now they're falling short, and so you get this thirty percent haircut. Does it make sense? I mean, are they cheap enough? Where um, you know we talked about this uh, in the past about Netflix, where Netflix um, is suddenly a more attractive acquisition target uh, than it was, say, six months ago. Um, is Blue Nile uh, a company that, if you are Walmart or Amazon? you're looking at and thinking maybe you can pick them up or are they still too pricey? Potentially, maybe. It's they have three hundred and fifty million in sales each year, but only thirteen million in net income the past twelve months. So it's a low margin business. Five hundred million dollar market cap. So maybe Amazon might want to pick them up, but because they're in Seattle as well, uh, Blue Nile and Amazon of course. But all, all those Seattle companies know each other. They all hang out. <laughs> yeah. Starbucks. They should all merge. Yeah, exactly. Costco. Uh, it would be a good fit for Amazon, but I don't see why Amazon needs them, frankly. Amazon has a large jewelry offering that's kind of chintzy, I might say. Blue Nile would add some, <laughs> some oomph to it. But I don't see why Amazon would pay up to, to add Blue Nile. Amazon paid big time to buy Zappos but yep. to keep that brand alive and really grow that brand. Blue Nile hasn't really branded diamonds in the same way. The one thing I'll give Blue Nile credit for is, I mean, as a guy who doesn't really own any jewelry or shop for jewelry, uh, you go in there and they make it pretty easy to kind of go through and figure out what's important in what you're looking for. So if you know you want to buy earrings or something, they're going to be able to guide you in in looking for the qualities that, that may make one thing better than another. And it, so it just kind of helps sort of whittle that process down, uh, especially if you're a layman like myself um, when it comes to jewelry. Jason's 10-year wedding anniversary is coming up. Um, any advice for you know helping him shop for a present for Guys. his lovely wife? Anything? Charlie, what do you think? That's the threshold when you can really just start phoning it in. And he'd be like... At the 10-year mark? Yeah. He'd be like, I come straight home from work. I don't fool around on you. You know, you know, might watch some TV with you at night. You know, Taking care of the house. You're just making... You're doing just everything to keep the days going by, uh, right? No, I'm just kidding. For my 10-year... Uh, I took my wife to Paris for eight days. So that's what I did. Wow. Ooh, that is Charlie. strong. You set the yeah. bar high. Strong. All right, Jeff, what do you think? I, I got to agree with Charlie. All these studies say experiences are much more valuable than an object. So now's the time to plan, Jason. Plan some great experience, some trip, some adventure. I'm with that. Now, my, the bar is extremely high given that we lived in Cairo for three years in Kazakhstan for two. And we've been, you know, a number of other places. I think a trip may be out, but. No, 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 no. Because the, what you do there is you surprise her with a place that she would never imagine, like Provo, Utah. Vegas? You're just like, baby, yeah, we're going. Vegas. To, baby, we're going to Provo. All right. So, Jason, how, how do you top Cairo? 
Um, Your wife doesn't listen to this podcast, does she? So I, yeah, well, I guess I looked at what is appropriate for the 10-year anniversary. You know, I guess they had the whole litany of one year is cotton and one year is paper. And so year 10, I thought I struck gold when it said year 10 was 10. And I thought, well, geez, that's affordable and probably pretty easy. Here's some canned goods, sweetie. (laughs) There's a lot of tin jewelry out there. String beans or something. But then it said 10 slash, you know, for the... For the, you know, up to speed, you know, present day, it's diamonds. So I think I probably have to find some kind of tin container to put some diamonds in uh, to really be able to sleep in the same bed with her that evening. So take her to India and get her a diamond while you're there. India. Well, you know, I guess we'll uh, – Indiana. Maybe I could probably afford to be a little bit easier. But. <laughs> well, the anniversary isn't for – what, it's the end of December, right? December 29th. All right. Yeah. So we got some time on this. By all yeah. means, drop us an email, radio at fool.com. If you've got some good tips for Jason, what he can get for his wife for their 10-year wedding anniversary. Jason Moser, Jeff Fisher, Charlie Travers. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank, Thank you. you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Good to know you don't fool around, Charlie. Yeah. Charlie, Charlie Travers, setting, yeah, setting the bar high. Yeah, if I start wearing cologne, she knows there's a problem. <laughs>